This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, Mark Peterson here, owner of Worldwide Trophy Adventures. Pretty excited, um, starting up a new podcast called The Journey Within, and this is episode one. I couldn't think of a better way to start this um, than to give an introduction and have Aaron Blasey from WTA and also the Fall Podcast on here to kind of host this and walk me through a series of questions, kind of explaining why and what and how often we're going to cover on this podcast. So Yeah, I'm Aaron. excited. Thank you for having me. No, thanks for doing this, man. I mean, you've had your podcast for now how long? Uh, just wrapping up year four. Year four. Year so four. you were like right on the cusp of when podcast came out. I feel like I was at, I don't know, they've... I started getting a podcast around 2015, and it was like Wired to Hunt, Mark Kenyon. He yep. was like kind of like one of the first ones to do it. And it took me about two years just uh, him hawing about it, and finally it was like, let's do this. And then I did it, and uh, every week, every Tuesday, I drop one, all whitetail content. And now, you know, being with you on the road quite a bit yep. and, you know, brought this to the table. And I think this would be really fun because – you're going to probably hear my voice on here a few times as well with Mark. Like we're going to be recording on the road, recording here, what we're at your house today. Um, but like just getting a lot of different information out there about you, WTA tags, your experiences, outfitters. Like I'm super excited about this. Yeah, it's going to no, be cool. I am too. So it's, and as we, we'll get into this obviously, but I get a ton of questions. So we have, where can you get the content? We've obviously got linear um, we've got digital videos, we've got social media, but still there's a lot of things that I get asked that there just aren't the correct, I'd call avenues to yeah. answer or thoroughly explain. Like we do blogs, but then it's written and like you think you cover everything in an article, right. but then you get a hundred questions afterwards. Like, man, I missed, <laughs> I missed everything on that. Yes. So this is, this is some of those where we will be able to cover and dig into things like, we're going to go down to the jungle in the Yucatan and go bracket deer hunting. We'll sit down with Sergio, who we're going to be hunting with there, and have him explain, you know, what the difference is of how they hunt those things in the jungle, like, mm -hmm. like situations like that. Or when we go to Africa, what is this area, Tanzania? Like, yeah. let's, let's sit down and talk about it more than you can do in an article or 
like I love visual. I've been doing videos now for almost 10 years in the outdoor right. industry. I love, I love visual, but still like you start that and you end it and then you can't really answer questions after that. And I, yeah. I hope with this podcast, it'll just take it to that next step of being able to truly answer almost everything that somebody would have questions on. I think it will because, you know, you know, linear, we're time constrained, yep. you know, we're, we're 22 minutes we have to fit it in there. And I mean, you just got back from Argentina and there was 28 animals on the ground. So yeah, it's yeah. like, how, how can we tell the full story behind the scenes? We'll get, you know, Justin and Lee and I'm the, you'll hear all these guys that are following you, your dad, your dad's yep. with you a lot. And, um, I think that's going to be the cool dynamic that you're not going to get anywhere else, but here in audio form. And, uh, I'm just super pumped about it because there's a lot of things behind the scenes that we do at camp that might be behind the scenes blooper type deals that we're going to razz each other about. But also you're going to, like you said, sit down with Jason Stone as well, your PH from Africa, Mm -hmm. that this, that guy has got stories that you would not believe. You know what I mean? I'm excited about that. And a cool with Jason's, I mean, getting off subject right off the bat here, but Jason's been attacked by a lion and a leopard. That's crazy. He's almost got his dangerous five just getting attacked by by certain animals (laughs) over there. But like in a linear episode, you never have a chance. Where does that fit in? Like him just Mm -mm. sitting there by a fireplace explaining his his history of times he's been attacked and stuff like that. It doesn't. It doesn't fit in there. It doesn't fit in in the written word. It doesn't fit in in social posts. So I'm like, man, we're going to do a podcast just on that. Like Mm -hmm. explain the dangers of being a ph and and what happened in these situations like i look forward to that one yeah and you know there's a litany of things that we're going to be going through like i got a list here we're gonna just to name a few you know mark talked about wta worldwide trophy adventures you know there's it's a it's a booking agency right Mm -hmm. so basically you're going to know the ins and outs of wta and if you want to book a hunt and go somewhere we're going to talk about that and like I brought up, uh, I think I brought it up to you, but my uncles are going to be going to Saskatchewan on a whitetail hunt in 23. Mm-hmm. They've never been out of state hunting. So they're like pretty intimidated by the logistics of it. So yep. this is where I think this podcast would come in. You get on that outfitter that they're going to go to. You talk to them, like, what can they expect? Yeah. Everybody has podcasts on their phone now. Yep. So it's like, hey, if you guys need to know what to get into, how to travel with a gun or a weapon, ammo, get animals home, this is where you're going to get that. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. And that and that's something that like both I and the office obviously we get a ton of questions as as we have clients come through and and a lot of it is the logistics around everything. Yeah. Everybody especially if if your uncle's from he lives in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, yep. so he's from Michigan so never hunted out of state and going to Canada so there's a lot of questions just from never having done it. Like right. hey when I hit the airport what are they going to do? What do they need for my gun or my mm-hmm. ammo and what happens when I get a deer and I yeah. I want to come back with it? How does that process work? And truly it's it's pretty simple. Yeah. If somebody explains to you all the steps that you need along the way, and that'll be a, that'll be a cool one to cover with Lance and Emily and, up there. And I think with you traveling, I mean, you travel so much. Mm-hmm. Like, how much do you travel in a year? How many days do you think? So I, uh, I don't know if my wife's gonna listen to this or not. So <laughs> I, mean, I travel 150 to 170 days a year. Okay. So yeah. and you do it. You've done it for years mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. you have tricks of the trade. Like yep. things you've been there, done that to a lot of different countries. Uh, South America, stuff like that. Like you know, some tricks of the trade, like how to pack things, how to, you know, put some extra clothes maybe in your gun case in case yep. you're, you know, stuff like that. Like are things that I think people will take from this as well. And to kind of go down the list more, um, hunt logistics. We talked about that. Tag deadlines. That's something on every episode we're gonna have 
tag deadlines. That's yep. what everybody forgets. Like, hey, guys, don't forget to put in for your Kansas preference point or your Iowa preference yep. or whatever. Yep. Um, client experiences. You guys at WTA have so many clients that uh, are doing extraordinary things that you don't hear about, like yeah. the general public does. So let's mm-hmm. get those guys on. Like the one guy just shot two Shirish moose. Yeah, he drew both tags in the same year and went out there. Yeah. Unreal. And he did that through WTA and tags. Like, yep. that's some a guy we need to have on, you know. So those are just a couple different avenues I think we're going to go down. And there's there's a lot. The The game is endless. So Yep. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And, I, and yeah. one of the things on here, like, I look forward to questions, too. Like, as, as we grow this, as everything that I do, we get feedback from people that watch the linear, the digital, and everything. And we just keep improving every day. And it'll yeah. be the same with this podcast. Like, what people really want, what stories, what, what subjects hit like you yes. probably found that with your podcast after i mean four yeah. years you probably got it dialed in yeah it's it and it's something now to the point where social media the dms come through like almost daily of just different things mine's centered around whitetail hunting but it's so um it's it's getting to the point where it's micro it's like okay what do i do you know, hunting scrapes in thick areas. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, so that's what I like about it. And if anybody out there listening to this has any questions for Mark and wants to cover like a Q&A, Q&A are the best. Yeah. So go to the social channels. Um, gosh, I'm going to forget them now. Nick's going to kill me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, gosh, what's your Instagram? So Instagram is <laughs> Mark V. Peterson, same, yes. as, same as Facebook, if anybody still uses Facebook nowadays. Um, and then YouTube's Mark V. Peterson to catch all the videos on, on digital and so yeah. forth. So if you have any questions, hit those DMs up there. I'm going to be gathering all that stuff and make sure Mark gets them and we're going to cover them. Q&As, those are great. Hey, everybody. As you know, May is a giant month in the tag application world. I'm going to go over some deadlines here, so make sure to pay attention on these. Starting off the month, May 10th for all species. That's all species in Nevada on May 10th. Maine, which if you're looking for a great one to go on the East Coast, you got to make sure to apply for Maine moose. That's May 13th. Oregon is May 15th for all species, followed up by Washington, all species on May 24th. So May is a giant month in the tag application world. Make sure that you're getting applied so you can draw those tags of a lifetime. Give the team at WTA a call. One of the things I did want to cover right in this first episode is the journey within like the name I've i have got, that right here <laughs> i've got that's one of the questions you had i've got i've i've got a lot of questions on that because it's catchy it the is journey, the, journey, I love it. the journey within where did that come from so the journey within um in 19 so before covid ruined just about everything um i did the upland slam with my dad yep. so it was 27 upland species um, and I got that idea from reading a book of somebody that did it with two of his dogs over the course of their lifetime. So it took him, I think, 12 or 13 years or something like that. And he went after 20 upland species. So I read that book and like the whole journey in the, in the, with his dog, like really, really hit with me. So I've got, I've got a number of Britneys, but Arrow's my dog that you'll literally see me by my side all the time. I don't have him here right now because you'd hear him whining in the background. <laughs> but like I'd, I have Arrow with me all the time and he sleeps next to me and, and he's got a bed right next to my bed. So he sleeps right there with me. And I got done reading that book and I was laying in bed and I looked over at him and I was like something different. You know what? I think with Arrow and Shooter and Missy and then my dog or my dad's dog, Tiny, I'm like, I think we can go and do this, but do it in a year mm-hmm. and literally film it and have it there. That'd be the first time it's ever done. And you've been around the outdoor industry yep. long enough that if you do something for the first time in the outdoor industry, which it seems like there's 
there's hardly any more first left to it's do. It's big to be the first. It's big to be the first that you'll you'll get some name recognition and and kind of carve a niche for yourself. And at the same time, I'm like started that process of planning. And the Upland Slam was was so difficult because you had to go to so many different areas. It wasn't like the the Waterfall Slam that I did last year. The Upland Slam, you had to go to that area because those birds don't migrate. Right. So you had to go to Alaska for the ptarmigan. You had to go to Nevada for the snowcock. You had to go to Mexico for the elegant quail. That was where it was at. So there's a ton of travel, and now you've got dogs involved. So that was more logistics. The part of which outfitters to go with, like, well, that's what WTA does day in, day out. So we started to plan it out. We wanted to catch as many openers and so forth. And, and through that whole planning process, like everybody asked, like, why, why are you doing this? This sounds, mm-hmm. this sounds crazy. Like you're going to be on the road for 75 days, almost straight, like <laughs> Hunting upland. In, insane. Like, why are you doing this? You're passing up deer season, elk season, all this stuff to go, go do it. I'm like, man, I grew up bird hunting and why do I go and hunt? Like you'll be, you've been in the field with me, like, when I'm successful in the field, that's like, I almost, I, I like the journey more. Yep. Like the journey. It's a bonus is it, when you're it, successful. Yeah, when you're successful, like, so it's the journey within. Why do I do anything? I'm like, because I love this. Mm-hmm. So it's my journey. Like each of these crazy things I go off and do, they're my journey. They're, they're what I want to do. So I'm like, well, and it just hit me, the journey within. Like I'm yeah. the things that I'm doing, I'm doing because of myself, not because of sponsors, not because of pressure from somebody else or sales or anything like that. I'm doing them because I'm fortunate enough that I want to do them and I'm able to do them. With your dad too. With my dad on, yeah. on most of them, who's 74. So, I mean, I hope I get around half as good as he is at 74. Right. But that's where the the name, the journey within came. It was the Upland Slam. I, at the time, I thought it was just going to be that one-off little series. And there was, like at that time, we didn't know how to film upland as much or or waterfall and put the put the story around it so i like i wish it was done better than it was but it was still the first time anybody successfully completed what i what i put together as the upland slam 27 upland species in a single season then that kind of spearheaded into the waterfall slam north america waterfall slam 43 species in a in a single season last year Mm -hmm. um and it just like waterfalls, obviously a larger demographic than upland hunters. Upland hunters are hardcore. Waterfall hunters are hardcore, but it's a bigger demographic. So it got a lot more of attention. And I truly like the whole experience of not like, I, I love all hunting, but like, it's different going to say, I'm going on an elk hunt in Colorado, seven days, start on day one, day seven, it's over like that. That's it. This was more of a journey of, hey, I'm starting out, but there's so many things that can come at you along the way that you have to do audibles and planning, and now I'm going to bounce over here. And I love that whole experience because it was kind of like sports. It's like a Mm -hmm. sports season. You put a whole season there, and you've got an end goal. And I know Justin's been with me to see this. Like At the end, it's almost bittersweet. Like You hit the end, and you like on the the waterfall one, I got the King Eider in Greenland. It was bittersweet because it was over like that it was right. over started right. in october ended in march and it was it was over and like yeah it was great but i love the whole journey every step along the way so that's where that's where this names come through that's what we're going to change the linear tv show to because it really allows me to speak from the heart and what i want to do better than just a catchy name on a on a show and yeah that's it i love it though because it fits like you said with everything you're doing mm-hmm. if you're going to you know, we're getting ready. We're going to go to Peru here in a little bit too. Yep. It like it, it fits with that. It yep. fits with 
going to hunt in New Zealand or the Yucatan, like you said, if it's anywhere you want to go or whatever species you want to do, yep. it doesn't bottleneck you. That's that's huge. And I guess to kind of go back to that upland slam, what was the hardest bird you went after so, on the upland? The hardest was definitely, well, there are a couple of them. The, the Himalayan snowcock, just because that was the only one I didn't have my dogs on because you're hunting them in the cliffs of the mountains. And they can't. Yeah. Do they even help? Like, would they even help? It wouldn't because so you hunt. Literally, like I, in that video, you'll you'll hear me say it's like hunting a mountain goat, but it's a bird in the mountains. Because okay. you're you're literally glassing them, but you're glassing a three and a half pound bird, right? Glassing them, looking them, and they're a sailing bird. So what they do is they get up on the rocks and they start calling, but they're calling when they're going to sail somewhere for food or water. So if you start seeing them, normally you see them and maybe you get lucky and they sail just to the other side of the mountain and now you know where they're at. Now you got to hike up, get up top, start hiking down on them. And when they flush, they can sail for miles. So they don't technically fly, they sail. They sail. They're okay. a sailing bird, which I, again, I didn't know that until I until I started that. I guess that is flying, but I guess yeah, they don't flap yeah, their they wings. Don't, they don't, they, they're not like one that you're going to see just take off. Yep, They're, they yep. like to sail off rocks and gotcha. so forth. And, and that was part of the, the cool thing with the upland and also the waterfall is I've hunted my whole life, but until you go in and experience the hunts and truly dive into it like that, you don't know everything. And I still don't know everything, but I learned a ton on the upland slam and I learned a ton on the waterfall slam that just increased my knowledge mm-hmm. of stuff. Like that, that's the cool part about those slams is that you just learn so much more than if you're just going, Hey, I'm going to go to Arkansas for four days and go right. duck hunting. So with the upland or not the upland, but the waterfall slam, those birds migrate. Correct. So did you have to travel more for the, I mean, there was more birds. There were more, but- there were more birds. So we did travel a bunch. And like, I always joke, like, Man, every weather event, I was two days after that weather event and the new birds hadn't been pushed in yet. Oh. Like all the old birds were gone. But yeah, like you learn different things. So until you've traveled to Alaska, East Coast, West Coast, Arkansas, Mexico, until you bounced around to all these spots to go waterfall hunting in the same season and see, truly see how the migration works. Like I always hunted here in Michigan and early on in my life, my dad and I traveled to North Dakota for a week every year. North Dakota is perfect because you can go upland and you got waterfall and it's just a great week. You never know what you're going to get into what right. the weather brings. So I've hunted those spots and I had hunted the East coast, um, once off the coast of mass. So I had a little bit of experience, but until diving in on the waterfall slam, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. And I guess with all your journeys, I mean, you've been on a ton, mm-hmm. um, so far, what's the one that sticks out? Doesn't matter species, but like what one sticks out the most? As far as best, best or, or journey, best like all around encompassing trip. Yep. So there are obviously a ton, but the one that I get I get that question asked a, a lot too. The one that I go to is we went and hunted um, blue sheep in northern Pakistan. And at that time, and I still don't think it has been again, but it had never been successfully filmed. There had been successful hunters that have gone there, numerous people that had tried to film it and were either unsuccessful, camera failure, or the weather. So high, it's, right? it's harsh. Yeah, it's yeah. just harsh. So we set out, and that, that was our goal, is to try to be the first one to successfully film a blue sheep hunt in northern Pakistan. And here's the logistics behind it. So it's basically six days of travel before you're ready to go hunt. So from here, leaving Michigan, have to fly to Istanbul, Istanbul into Islamabad. So now you're basically, see, what are we, day and a half to two days in. Now you start this three-day drive on the Karakoram Highway, which is the most dangerous highway. Three days? Three days. 
in a in a van oh. across the the most sworviest highway. It's not even a highway. It's I would a, it's have a, threw it's, up seventeen it's, times. It's <laughs> a it's a two track. That it's the most dangerous road in the world is what it's what it's known for because blind curves and let's just face it, there's no drivers training in Pakistan, so it's just really bad driving. You can you'll have three people passing at the same time on a blind on a blind corner. Holy crap! Um, so in like everybody asks, is Pakistan dangerous? I'm like Pakistan, just like anywhere in the world, is dangerous if you go to the wrong spots. Right. Like live in Michigan, would you want to go to certain areas of Detroit? No, absolutely not. No. So I'm like same thing in Pakistan. If you go with the right person. And you know where you sh- where you can be and where you shouldn't be. No, it's not it's not dangerous. Yeah, no more dangerous than anywhere else. Now, yeah, if, if I want to do something stupid and go hang out somewhere I'm not supposed to, yeah, it probably wouldn't have been a good deal. Right. But f- if you're just smart about the whole thing, it's not bad. So anyway, three days on the Karakoram Highway, and then once we got to Shimshal, which was the village we hiked out of, it's a two day hike. Holy crap. A day and a half, so it hits your six days. We're five and a half, yeah. So your six days before you actually get to where you're going to hunt. Starting here in Michigan, I mean, we're barely above sea level. I shot my blue sheep at fourteen five. Wow. So I mean, <laughs> how was your lungs? I, uh, going up, rough. Coming down, I felt like Superman. Really? I mean, you're starting to get more oxygen yep. as you go from fourteen five down. You get to nine thousand. You're you're sprinting. You're like, <laughs> I, I feel do I feel great. <laughs> so we had. Um, I'm trying to remember. It was like thirty two porters. That came with us because you have to carry everything in. I mean everything. I mean cooking water, food, cots, like all this stuff. Everything that you had to carry, you had to carry in. And up until this point, on every trip I had been on, I had always carried my own stuff. Sheep hunt doesn't matter. I carry my backpack. I carry my food. I carry my gun. I carry everything. Starting off here was no different. Nine thousand feet. I had all my stuff, and they're like, "We should carry you." Yours. Started at nine thousand. Started at nine thousand is what Shimshaw that, and we should carry your stuff. And I'm nah. I carry all my own stuff. Let's just face it. <laughs> two hours later, I was stripped down to an empty backpack because they took everything out of it. And they'd carried my gun for the rest of that first day because I was, I did not know what I was getting into and just got my ass kicked. Did you get altitude sickness at all? I did not because it took so long on that drive to get up oh, there. Sure. So the only yep. time I got altitude sickness was in Tajikistan because we went from Michigan and two days later we were at camp, which was 13.5. Mm-hmm. And I'm there moving clients' bags around, thought I was good. And the next morning I woke up in the fetal position just throwing up all day long. Oh, it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. That sounds terrible. Oh, it was bad. And then, but anyway, so we get we get there, and I think it was day three. Um, shot my blue sheep. Great shot. Great footage. Day Di- three of the hunt. Day three of the hunt. Yeah. But it's day nine. We're into it at this mm-hmm. point. Got it on film. Just awesome shot. Fell off a rock into a canyon. They had to rappel down. Guy with a rope tied it up. Pull it. Like everything of an adventure that you would want it to be. And at this point. Up until that, I'm questioning of what am I doing? Yeah, this why, is, why are you doing this? This is awful because you're you're now you're there after such brutal travel and putting your mind and body through all this now and and being accessible. But on the way back, I'm like, and that was awesome, right? I remember that. I remember details of that trip each day, like throughout my week. Now it's one of those ones that stick that I'll remember probably until I die, but that's probably one of my favorite and most toughest hunts right there. Would you ever do it again? It's a question I get a lot too. Um, I've got a lot of other experiences I would love to do if like that. And that's my thing. Like, do you do things twice? Well, occasionally I do things twice, but to me, like life's about experiences. And if I could get a, if I already know what that experience is like, if I have a chance to do a new experience, wouldn't I want to do that? New, I'm the I same want, way. Like I, I would want to do that new experience. So what I do it, 
I would, I'm not opposed to, it's a tough answer. I'm not opposed to doing it a second time, but for the 14 or 15 days that I would be gone, I'd rather go and experience something something new. Like now if, if I was unsuccessful on that trip, I'd a hundred percent because of my mentality, go back and do it again the next year, Mm -hmm. just because that's the way I, that's the way I'm wired. If I'm not successful, I'm a hundred percent going to plan, do it better, be in better shape, go and do it again. But with the 14 days, you could use those better away from your family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Doing something, like you said, you haven't done yet. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, there's certain things that I love to do that I would do time, that I have done multiple times. Like, the trip to the jungle, it's so unique. And, like, this time I'm going to go brocket deer hunting versus turkey hunting. So it's going to be a different, it's still in the same type of camp, still the same area, but it's going to be a different type of hunt than the turkey hunt. And it fits well. It's a, it's a springtime hunt. It's different. Um but then another one are like I'll I can definitely see myself going back to Maine to see duck hunt off the coast. Really? I, I just can because it's it's so different than the waterfall hunting I grew up on doing, and it's so fun. Yeah, like, and it's short, so it's two to three days versus four in the states. You yeah, know, it's, it's not, easy yeah. easy to get there. Yeah, um, but like fourteen days, would I go and do that one again, or would I go to a different area in Africa that I haven't been to, or a different area in Australia mm-hmm. or South America? Like, did my first trip to Argentina, which you mentioned, I loved it. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent gonna go back to Argentina because there's so many different areas to go to there. I'm upset about that trip. I didn't get to go on that trip. Oh, so I thought you were Superman, but you weren't. <laughs> the night before we were leaving, I get uh, I get COVID. I positive for COVID. Yep, no travel then. Yeah, no travel. and I I missed out on an awesome two week trip, which you guys are going to see eventually on linear and digital. And Mark briefly talked about that as well. We have a really good digital channel on YouTube, Mark V Peterson Hunting, and. Some of our stuff's on Waypoint as well. Waypoint it is, Network. correct. Correct. So and we're going to start putting more stuff on Waypoint too. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's good. So go consume all that stuff. But um, yeah, the Argentina trip, it looked pretty fun. It was pretty fun. There was no lack of food or lack of wine either. <laughs> so you're heavy on the wine over there. I get a text from Mark and he says, I'm drinking for your wine tonight as well. So yep. I'm like, yeah. It's helping you out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is a trip that you haven't done yet that you are like top of the list right now? So Nepal would probably be another one that I I can't wait to go on because again it's 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 for blue sheep mm-hmm. so I don't know anybody well I can tell you there's been nobody that has successfully filmed both because nobody had filmed it in Pakistan before and nobody has Nepal's been done a couple of times but it's also the only area that you can get a Himalayan tar in their native range like you can okay. you can go you can go and hunt for them in um, New Zealand I actually hunted for one and was successful in Argentina because they were introduced over there. But like in their native range, Nepal's the only the only spot that you can currently hunt for them, and they're only four tags a year. So, really? Yeah, only four tags How a year. How do you get on that list? You got to know the guy. You got to know WTA, <laughs> man. That's a, it, when you know the guy, it's an easy list to get on. But like that's one I look forward to. But that's that's going to be a long one. Like that's a eighteen to twenty one days possibly because it's really? a long time to get over there, and and you're going to be hunting those at seventeen five. Holy crap! Like you're going to have to be be ready for that one. Now you may get lucky and they may be lower, but I always plan for the. Justin will have to be ready for that one. Yeah, Justin will have to be ready. <laughs> I think Lee will be all over that one. Probably. Yep. Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? You got to check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of minerals and attractants. My personal favorite is their 110 proof. I've hunted over top of it multiple times in the great state of Kentucky and able to take some awesome deer, especially in velvet down there. Born from bourbon, field tested, wildlife approved. Make sure to check them out at buckbourbon.com. Leopold offers the best optics in the game bar none. 
I personally have their Santium Binos and never go to the field without their Pro Guide Spotting Scope. I've got a Mark V on all my rifles, and also don't forget they've got some awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit Leopold.com. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. Speaking of WTA, like, what is the logistic process for you to go through uh, WTA to, to get in the process for that hunt? Yeah, so I go, I, I mean, so just because I... I own it doesn't mean I go through the same the same thing. So the consultants that we have on the team, I think we've got ten guys now. They all have their specialties because it's we're a believer. If you've been to the area and experienced it, you obviously know it a lot better than just hearing it and try to do it. So yeah. we've all of our guys kind of have these these niches of what they do and what their specialty is. Like Tim Harold, dude's been to Africa. I don't know. 32 times basically lives there he, yeah he, i mean he's <laughs> probably there right now i don't even know but like he he's been there so much like if i go to africa i'm instantly going to tim to go to his wealth and knowledge on what i want to do and where i want to go so if i'm like when i finally bite bite the bullet and like okay this is the month i'm going to go to nepal i'll call tim and be like all right let's let's plan this out same thing that anybody else does if they're looking to go on a saskatchewan whitetail hunt or uh, iowa i want to put in for iowa like any of those, call the office. This is this is what I'm like to do. We're gonna get you set up with the specialist that'll walk you through everything and, mm-hmm. and plan it out. If this is the year, if that's the next year is, like the stuff in North America, the the best way I've been able to describe this. What does WTA do? When I can, a lot of people say I can just go to a show and and meet with an outfitter and do that. I'm like, well, that's you can do that, but if you go to that show and you go to talk to somebody about an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt. You're talking to that outfitter in that booth. That outfitter is specifically putting their sales message to get you to book because he only has one Mm -hmm. type of hunt to book you on. He's got what he offers. If you call WTA and say, hey, I want to go on an elk hunt. Perfect. We're going to run down a list. Do you want it to be a horseback? Do you want it to be a landowner tag ranch hunt? Do you want it to be spot and stalk, archery, rifle, muzzleloader? In your mind, what do you vision when you go on this hunt? Well, perfect. We take, I think we've got 400 and some elk outfitters. It's ridiculous. But we take those 400 down and off listening to what you want to do for your experience. Who's coming? What's your, how do you feel about shot range? Um, what's your budget? What time? What's your capabilities your, as yeah. far as like how far can you hike? Yep. Like, we'll take 400 and we'll wind her right down to five or six and be like, hey, take a look at these. What do you think about this? What do you like? What don't you like? And we'll narrow it down until we find that perfect match for you. Yeah. And here's here's another one that that's key. So when you go to that outfitter, an outfitter's just it's a business. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. When you go to that outfitter, if you book with that individual at a show, he doesn't really know who you are. So your name's John Smith. John Smith books in there has a bad experience. The guide had the guide found out or decided he's getting divorced the day before he shows up happens. in there. It happens. It, it happens. <laughs> it. It, it happens more, than, more yeah. than you know. But something happens in that guide's personal life that he shows up there and, and something's off. Like he just doesn't have a good week. Or something, equipment fails. Something the outfitter should have had. And that stuff happens. Like you don't know when you're going to have a piece of equipment fail. But something happens that wasn't the hunter's fault that, that clearly ruined that experience. Well, a lot of outfitters would be like, man, that's tough. Mm-hmm. He just booked with me one time. 
I'll let you come back. I'll give you a little discount. And the yeah. guy's like, that's ah, not really what I want. But if you book with WTA, WTA sends multiple people into this guy's camp every year and make up high percentages. So they're like, man, we need the WTA clients to really have a great experience. Yeah. And not to mention your consultants that are the specialty guys, they've been to those places. Exactly. Firsthand. They've yep. been to these outfitters like, hey, I've personally been here. I can speak on that too because I've been, I've had a WTA portfolio since 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and mine's mainly whitetail stuff, like, but I want to be put in for Iowa every year, yep. Kansas every year, stuff like that. And I call up Eric Shell, Eric's my guy, and I say, Hey, put me in for these this year. I'm trying to build my Iowa points back up. But he's also, if I wanted to go to an outfitter, I would be like, Where would you put me? Yeah. Like, where would you, like, what do you recommend? Um, I think it's a no brainer, to be honest with you, for those guys that are, and a lot of guys, I mean, nowadays, time sensitive. Yep. Like, it's, you yep. know, you want to be able to be efficient with mm-hmm. everything you're doing, and why not call, you know, uh, Eric Pollock or a Shell or, you know, something yep. or Burger and just be like, Hey, what do I got to do here? Yep. Help me and, out. And I probably should have led with this. We're the same cost as if you book with an outfitter. We oh, don't, we, we don't have an up, there's no upcharge to work with us. So if you think about an outfitter, how do they have to sell? They have marketing charges, right? Mm -hmm. Just like anything. If I want to go and sell a widget online, I've got marketing expenses behind that. Or if I'm an outfitter and I go to these shows, those shows aren't aren't for free. You got, you get charged at the show. You've got your time away from family. You've got all your travel expenses. Like the guys that do the show circuit, they start in early January and they don't end until the end of February. They're on the road literally for eight months. So think about that eating on the road, drinking, like the time away, the travel, the hotel expenses, all this. So what we do is we we take a percent out of what the outfitter would normally spend on marketing charges. If they went and did it, we do the marketing behind it. Well, so, and you're paying for um, uh, legwork yep. too, yeah. you know, and it's helping you with the legwork you might not have to do. I, I To me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Especially, like, we try and and the biggest thing for us is when we have clients go into a camp and they repeat in that same camp multiple years in a row well guess what we did we as a match like you think about us as a matchmaker that one worked out great because you had a great experience so good you wanted to come back and bring more of your friends back that's that's perfect yep that means when we went through our process and and listened to what you wanted to do and and everything like that we matched up really really good Mm -hmm. that's awesome that's really cool i don't want to get too far into the weeds on that because you're you're gonna do an episode with eric pollock about that whole situation so i do want to pivot and it's gonna be kind of hard pivot and this is selfishly what i kind of want to know about you as well and i know people listening will We'll want to get more into the story of Mark Peterson. So you grew up in Michigan, but mm-hmm. like when when did that bug, that hunting bug, that like kind of hit you, and uh, I guess take off this your passion for the outdoors? So I uh, I was fortunate. My dad spent a lot of time with me when I was little in the woods, like 
I mean, if you think about when I grew up, there was no cell phones, there mm-hmm. was limited TV, there wasn't all the stuff that you can that kids can do now. So getting me out of the house and active and hunting because he liked to hunt at the same time. So I remember sitting in a deer stand with him when I was four, like none of the fancy deer stands, like just brush in front and snow on the ground and me freezing. Like I remember that. And we always had bird dogs. So I always followed my dad when he was upland hunting, watching our bird dogs. So I fell in love with bird dogs, had bird dogs ever since I've been 12. Had multiple bird dogs in my house just just because of that, probably. Right, right. And and always will. Like I'll figure out my life to always have bird dogs just because they're such a great companion. Um, and that was that, that always had that passion. But then all of a sudden you get into school sports and and do all that. You don't have as much time, and you think girls are pretty cool, and like start pulling, <laughs> part pulling, pulling away. And then I went to college in Grand Rapids. I went to Grand Valley. And I was close enough, and I moved there my first year and realized I can't. I don't like living in a city. Like, yes, it's nice having everything I need five minutes away. Yep. But at the same time, I like peace. I like quiet. I like to be able to walk out my door and have my dog and and, and go. So I, I did that. But then I also realized the, the beauty of college is, man, I can schedule all my classes three days a week. I did the same thing. <laughs> so now all of a sudden, like, you start learning this. Now all of a sudden, year two in college, I got to hunt basically all fall because i would do three days of class and then i would come back home and all of a sudden you're hunting Mm -hmm. so it instilled that passion of chasing and i had some of the best experiences in a tree stand during that time because i spent so much time there yeah four days during the peak of rut just nonstop because i didn't have to leave for anything right like you didn't have to leave for anything yep like biggest deer i've seen on the hoof in michigan was during that time period i mean just a giant we saw him one time and that was like we didn't even have trail cameras back then like so everybody thought you I was lying. Everybody, everybody, I know. But everybody <laughs> thought I was lying. Like, listen, I'm not joking. This deer, I tried, I threw everything but the kitchen sink at him. I got him at 75 yards and then he just wandered off never to be seen ever again. Oh. Like that, that was it. And it was like mid-afternoon. Like shouldn't even been in the stand if you think about it. It was just one of those times. You Lucky. learned so much that yeah. like that though. Yeah. So then like it did that through college. Obviously I had to go into the work after that. Um, my family's company is where I went to and I worked there for... Let's see, nine years. And through that whole time period, like our busiest time was summer and fall. Obviously, the fall is prime hunting time, but dad and I would always take off for a week to go to North Dakota. We did Montana. We, we did Maine bird hunting normally. And I would have took off the whole, I mean, ask him, I would have took off the whole fall when I was there. So it just didn't didn't fit. And it hit that, that time in my life that, like I... From the time I was born, I always knew I was going into the family business. Like that, what I what was the family business? It's uh, fruit processing. So we were a fruit farmer, tart cherries, um, peaches, what we did. But we processed apples, tart cherries, blueberries, sweet cherries. Um, We did a little bit of asparagus when I was younger. Like we we did a lot. We're Mm -hmm. we're large, but so I would I was VP of operation, had just under a thousand employees underneath me. Okay, and it was a twenty four hour job. I'm not saying that was good or bad. Like I, I did it for so long. Like when I, what I left out is through high school, I was working. Well, actually I started on the farm. I think when I was nine, like you could do that back yep. in the day. I was mowing orchards when I was nine um, through college. I was our fresh plant manager and then became VP of operations when I graduated. So like it was, it was different, but I, I didn't have that passion. Like I think a lot of people do You don't have that passion when you wake up in the morning and you really want to go to work. Like eager. Yeah. Like you're not eager. And it it was like getting a call at 3am from the sanitation crew and like you're barely sleeping and like the quality of life wasn't, wasn't there. Let's be honest though. You're in college. You're dealing with that stuff. Like not many college students deal with that. No, no, it was different, but it was like, I mean, that's the beauty of growing up in a family business. So as you get 
like you get those experiences. Exactly. A lot of people have to wait a long term, long time for that. And I had those experiences when I was 23, 24. I mean, I sat in Walmart, I sat in McDonald's headquarters, like all this before I was 25. Like I had mm-hmm. these, these experiences that help, obviously helped me a ton now in the outdoor industry. But I hit that point to where I had a conversation with my dad that I just, I, it was time for me to switch. And in a family business, this is where you, you hear a lot of horror stories of, okay, there are multiple kids that are in the family business, and my dad did everything in his power to make that transition as smooth as possible from me out of the family business into what I wanted to do, which was the outdoor industry. Yep. So I made, I made that switch, would have been almost eight years ago now, and I did what I tell everybody. I did the complete wrong first step, and I started. I tried to start a TV show. Was the first thing I did in the outdoor yeah. industry. Just horrendous, wrong. a bad idea. <laughs> just, just bad. Anybody that wants to start a TV show, just don't. Just think about it seven times and then don't do it. Yeah. And and here's the reason why: because there are thousands and thousands of people out there that watch TV. And same. This is the same. This is my experience. That's why I can say it with confidence like this. Thousands of people out there that say, "Man, I can do that." I hung a lot. Everybody says that. I've got. I think I can do that. I could, yeah, I could. I could be that guy and hunt all year, and that was me. I was like, "Man, I can do that." So now all of a sudden, well, the question comes: How do you pay for that? This is all great. It's a like, pay-to-play it's, network. Yeah. You know? So now you're like, "How do I pay to do that?" Well, you gotta go get sponsors. Well, you go and have these conversations with sponsors, and they don't know who you are because they get approached right. by thousands of guys yes. every every single year. They're like, what? What's the difference between you and the seven guys I just had in there? And you're like, oh, well, I'm better. How? Uh, huh. Good question. So most sponsors, like here's a little known fact that nobody actually says most and sponsorships obviously getting harder and harder as it goes they're on. Not just, they're they're, they're, they're not paying what they used to because if you think about it 10 years ago, you had to have a linear TV show to really advertise. Now with social media, I mean, you got a marketing manager and they can advertise to millions. Or you could do it yourself. Or you can do it yourself. Like yeah. you can, it's so easy to do it now compared to what it was. So you don't get paid for what you used to to have a linear TV show. So it's harder to build a name. And at that time, I was like, I heard it multiple times. Hey, we only talk to people that have been around for three or four years that have had a TV show. So you have to try to scrape together three to four years of maintaining the show that you're going to last in the industry. Okay, so you lasted in the industry. There's still hundreds of people that have a TV show, and there are only so many companies out there that are looking to have a face for their brand that fits them. Right. Now, think about the crazy personalities that you see on outdoor TV or digital. You watch them because they're crazy, but is that the personality that a high-level brand wants to associate with? Absolutely right. not. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't have I can't have that guy rep my brand because he's going and doing this stupid stuff with his bow or with his shotgun or something like that. Absolutely not. And like I think as as like so it limits it down even more. So it's extremely tough to get a sponsorship and make it. Mm-hmm. And I was just hard headed enough and, and still kept my head to the the grindstone and and figured out a way to do it. And along that along that process is I'm like, man, I, I do such great content. Like in my mind, I do such great content and I'm selling but I'm selling for these brands that really aren't as committed in me. So I went to a different mindset. I'm like, okay, I'm going to the brands that I would, that I 100% use in the field. It's a marriage. Yeah. Also. Yeah. So I can't, like I learned early on, I struggled to rep a brand that I really don't believe in. Like mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it because I'm lying. And so you're lying. If you're yeah. repping a brand that you don't believe in that you wouldn't use if you're not on TV, you're lying. And I couldn't do that. So why do I have, like, if you look at me now, why do I have categories still open? Because you know what? The brand that I use or the brands that I use, we just haven't met yet. We haven't come to that, hey, this is a great partnership. You fit what we want. I fit right. what you want. And But now I look at like optics. It took me a long time to get in with Leopold. And that's what I've used since I was little. Like that's, that's the brand made in the USA, tough, great optics. Like 
for if I look at WTA, what do I, what do I need to rep so my clients do it? A Gunworks rifle with a Leopold on top, like it doesn't get any better than no. that. And that and those are the partners that I work with. Like that didn't happen by chance. There was a ton of work that went into making that whole relationship work. Right. Matthews bow. Like I shot a Matthews from when I was 12. Like that that's the bow I shot up. Like that's the dream bow and mm-hmm. it took me 7 years to get to in get with them. Matthews. 7 <laughs> yeah. years. And like, I'm still earning my spot with them because they have such great guys because they're obviously the top of the top. Like it takes a long time. And now all of a sudden it's like, you're one of the team, but you still have to prove yourself every year. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the way it should be. But like to get sponsors. So back on this, like I learned a lot along the way on the sponsors. And what I learned is that I'm as a marketing, if I had companies of my own that I could market at the same time, I already have the marketing. So that's where WTA comes along. Like when, when I purchased WTA, it was a small boutique booking agency that had two employees out of St. George, Utah. I didn't know that Cabela's Outdoor Adventures was going to come up for sale nine months later. But when I found that out, like I had worked with Eric Pollock in the office there. He had done my tags portfolio since I ever started. And when we have Eric on, like you'll hear Eric's story. Eric actually started the tags business of floating tag fees. That was Eric's idea. Like, I, I can't wait to have him actually explain. Yeah, like I'm the one that came to Cabela's and, and did this. Like, hear it from the guy that actually started. started he's it. on he's on our team. Like, yes. he's on my team. Like, that guy's on my team. Like, I look at the guys on the team now, and it's crazy. But, so through that, WTA, and then we purchased Cabela's Outdoor Adventures, and I found out years later that we weren't the top bid. We weren't even close to the top bid. But Cabela's looked and said, you're the best fit to continue this on. And, like, that means a ton to me that now I have that, on my back because those years of Cabela's putting their blood, sweat, and soul into building that program and then handing it over to me to continue it, like there's a lot of pressure on that. So you right. get, like I look at it, I do things right. And along the way, I'm like, man, we started adding owned outfitters because we have the clients behind that will fill these up. And, and to have a great outfitter, like I tell everybody, if you can control the controllables, you will be great. So mm-hmm. what does is, what is control the controllables if you're an outfitter mean? It means I've got the best guides I can possibly have for my area. The areas that we hunt are the best possible for quantity and quality of the trophies that you want to chase. I control the food. I control the lodging. I control the vehicles. Anything that I can control, I control and make it the best that it can be for that area. Now, what I can't control, I can't control weather. 100% can't control weather. I can't, Nobody control, can. right. can't control the moon. But if I can control everything else, the chances of a client coming in and having a great time are exponential compared to somebody that's like, man, I just found this guide. I was short and found him yesterday. He should be good. Or, you know what? The food's not real good because good food makes up for a tough day in the field, a bad weather. Like if you're sitting in rain in a, in a blind and you're like, man, deer aren't moving, but you come back and you've got a warm, great meal and the lodge is nice and your bed feels good you just feel better. Mm-hmm. You make up for that day of bad hunting where you know what? The outfitter didn't have anything to do with it raining that day. He had you in the best stand that you could possibly do. But if you have all these things, it makes it so much better. So I learned that and we started adding outfitters that really fit strategically for what we do internal at WTA. And that's that's part that we can, I mean, we grow all the time. If we find an outfitter or an area or a concession that fits underneath us, we, that, that fits. And then we've got different brands like Buck Bourbon, like George from Salt River started this literally in his garage. And it fit because, you know what? It works. Mm-hmm. It's probably the best darn deer attractant with the best catchy name that I came across. And it just fits underneath WTA. So what we've been successful on is like a lot of people in the outdoor industry get pigeonholed. 
And we've just looked at it as a business and been able to grow so much outside of when I just started with a TV show. We now have hard goods that we sell. We have our own outfitters. I mean, we're close to 100 employees at WTA now. Yeah. Like we can, we can live with you guys on the production. We can do commercials. We can do movies. We, we're can turnkey. Do, we, we can do whatever you want out yep. of us. There's nobody that's ever been like us in the outdoor industry. And we continue to grow, which is exciting. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And to go a little farther back to the, the hunting industry and outdoor industry, I know a question you get a lot is, what would you say to a young hunter that wants to get into the outdoor industry? Like looking back at how you got in, what would you change and how would you do it again to be successful? Maybe a little quicker, like the say the quicker or safest way to get safest, out. Yes. Like, and I'll, I'll just be realist. Like everybody wants to be on TV. Like that's a tough road to go. Like you got to be ready for a lot of struggles. But if say you wanted to be on, I wanted to be on TV. The first thing I would do is I would learn how to film yourself learn how to film yourself mm -hmm. and if you have that skill set now all of a sudden you'll get hired by somebody that's on tv mm -hmm. and now that you're in the field you can truly see what goes into doing this day in day out but here's the thing you're not paying for it at that point you're getting paid like right. you do like you're getting yeah. paid for these experiences you can learn as you go on the road of man do i really like to be on camera do i do i like this travel do i like the show circuit of trying to pick up sponsors. Like, do I like this? And that's a safe way to do it. And I mean, there's always a need for great field producers. Yeah. Always. If you're a great field producer and fit and, and like all these things and those opportunities lead to next steps because now you're in the field with a lot of the sponsors and if your personality, Networking. yep. And if your, your personality is great and like, I think everybody in today's world, they, they like the host, but they really like the team atmosphere behind. For and that's sure. what I've learned the last couple of years is like, man, I'm great, but it's better. Like in Argentina, it's better if there's communication going on and we actually show it. Like we always joked in the past, always, but we never filmed it. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden, if we're giving Justin a hard time, we're hundred percent filming it the whole <laughs> yeah. time we do it. Or if we're giving you a hard time or Lee, like yeah. these guys were and just tie them into the story because they are part of the story. Right. And that's where you get a personality that just shines and you're like, man, this guy's got to have his own show. Like yeah. that's, that's the safest and probably quickest way if you wanted to get on TV. I think TV is a dying breed, though. Oh, I mean, it's there. I, I said, like, I and I said that wrong. Like, I say TV, but I mean like digital. Like, yes, if you want to yes. be on on episodes, yes. like if you want to be on episodes, no, I hundred percent agree that TV is a dying breed because, listen, you can't pay to 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 do it anymore. It's not it's sustainable. Like, it's, it's not sustainable, and and the market reach is going down. And like, so why am I on linear? and on digital and on all these because they're different brackets of people that watch all these things it's a different person that's on instagram that follows my social it's a different person that's on facebook it's a different person that's on youtube it's a different person that's on waypoint it's a completely different person that watches on pursuit channel yes like age demographics income demographic like it all breaks down different so i switched to where the old mindset was is you had to pay me for my content i'm not doing it unless i get paid and i'm like nah it makes no sense what I'm doing because I'm self-marketing all these different brands that are the best, the best. I want my stuff to be seen by as many eyeballs as possible in as many locations, as many times. Like I want people to get sick and tired and be like, man, I'm really tired of looking at Mark. He's all over the place, <laughs> literally yeah. all over the place. Like I want like, like that. So that's, that's the switch that we've done. Um, now, if you just want to get in the outdoor industry, there's lots of ways to get in the outdoor industry, work with these companies and inside their companies of marketing and so forth. Like if you look at shotgun manufacturers, they have thousands of people that work for them, right? from anything up to a secretary anywhere in there. And you can just get in the outdoor industry, get a feel like if this is what I like, where do I want to grow from here? There's tons of those different opportunities, but there is no, there's no golden bullet of 
I just want to go and, and start filming. Like, okay, just go and do that. Right. Like that, that's a tough, that's a tough one. But I think you've seen a lot of the digital channels that guys have started by themselves catch. And these guys have normal yes. jobs, Yep. but they, they got a niche. They either had a really good idea of how they're filming it or they're a good personality. And now all of a sudden you start growing that and you can do like what used to have to be done on linear can now be done on digital so much cheaper, so much faster. So with linear, like you do these filmings and it doesn't air for six months on digital, like the Argentina one we got back from last week, we're going to have it airing in two weeks after we got back. Now we could yeah. air it in a week, but we want it done to still have that high cinematography feel to it, like what it should be. Like, yep. so that's why it takes a little bit longer to edit, but you can turn that stuff so quick. So now I go and I go hunt a turkey and I can have that in the same season, like before you'd go turkey hunting, but you wouldn't air it till the next year. So companies had to work and be like, what am I going to market next year? I got to have products here to film now. And now it's just different. Now I get a product on a Tuesday. I can have marketing material out on it a Thursday. Yeah. So quick. And that's something I think a lot of digital people or I should say linear people, um, they kind of fizzle out because that work of like that turnover real quick, so semi life, it's hard. It's, it's so especially the guys that have been around for 20 years. Yes. It's a ton harder than what they used to be of, okay, I get all my stuff that I'm going to film for turkey season in March. Mm -hmm. I film it in April. You guys will get it six months, eight months from now. I get all my stuff that I'm going to use in the fall and August. I do all that stuff. No, now it's like, Hey, we got this. I'd love to get some marketing material on this. And I'm usually filming once or twice a month anyway to where we'd love to do this. Perfect. Throw it in there. Let's get it. Back yeah. to the team. Content marketer, editor, set all off. Now you've got marketing material to roll literally yeah. a week after. And, and these other guys are like, man, we don't have a full-time field producer. We just sublease them out. I can't really do this. I don't know how to self-film. I'm used to this linear episode. I got to do an intro. I got to do this. I got to explain this. I cut spines. And it's just so much different. Yeah, and that's the thing with our team. We have five editors, mm -hmm. five field producers. Like, yeah. I'm not saying we have 10 guys. We have five guys that can do both everything. High, highly efficient at both. Yes, like, and we put out content every Wednesday. There's an episode every Wednesday of the of the year, you know, every week. And there's, yep. I see our workload and how much we do, and it's oh. like, it's it's crazy. Yeah, you that know? and tying in WTA and all the stuff you guys do like that, it, it's ton, but that's that's what gets the eyeballs though is having yes. that new content. And I, like, I had a YouTube channel for I think since sixteen or seventeen, but we only we put a video up and then we wouldn't do anything for nine months. You put another video up, yep. and like I learned, it's all algorithms. By doing all that, you algorithms. just shot yourself right in the consistency. Foot. Yeah, shot yourself right in the foot. So you got to be consistent. You got to do it every week, and you got to have stuff that people want to watch. So guess what? On linear TV. When you started breaking down, I needed 13 episodes. Okay, well, I'm going to do three turkey episodes. Okay, well, well, in linear, that's cheat episodes. Yes. Those are, that's cheat content. <laughs> Time buys. <laughs> because, because how many turkeys do you want to hunt or watch on a 23-minute episode? Yeah. For 20, 23 <laughs> minutes leading up to one turkey that gets drilled in the head. Like, yeah. And they're, I love turkey hunting. Watching the videos, they're all the same. Big red head comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Like running in. Like, and on digital, show it as a four-minute episode. Perfect. Hits the yep. story, everything you need. And I like the rawness because I think we have a, a good mix of like cinematography, but you're going to get raw as well. It's you know? Yeah. In your homegrown series. I love the homegrown series, mm -hmm. you know? So if you guys go to YouTube and to Mark's YouTube channel, check out the homegrown series as well because it's 
basically everything right here at your house. Right at my know? house, yep. You know, you've you killed what was the buck you killed this year? 145 inch Michigan deer. Oh, so that one was 155. Oh, sorry, out of my driveway. Off. Never seen that deer before, and I got trail cams literally on every inch of this place. Yeah, and you know he kills turkeys here, waterfowl, upland. It doesn't matter, like. And it's all free range, really cool stuff, and it's like raw. It's and most I, of it's self filmed. It's, it's all been self filmed so far, which it, has been which has been unique for me because I've been in the field with guys for eight years now, but yeah. I never did it myself in the the level of what you really had. You guys set your stands. You got to do everything a yep. little bit different. Like I'm learning all that as I go, but it's been fun because that's what a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is it's it. acceptable. It's now. acceptable, and you can relate. Like when I started, you could never show anything like that deer that I shot this year, right later in my food plot, right off my driveway here. I could never showed that before because the footage was grainy. I was shaking like a leaf because it was the <laughs> biggest deer I'd ever seen. Like the shooting lane wasn't cut. Like it wasn't perfect, but it turned out awesome. Yeah, like the whole thing turned out awesome because it was yeah. raw and it happened in the moment. Like yep. like everybody else that's in the field. Like this is how it happens. Yeah, and that's something I've been talking to friends this year. I'm gonna do some self filming around my house just to yeah. do it. You know. Yep. And everybody's like, I'm literally thinking about buying just a handy cam. That's just, what I got. Yeah. Exactly. And. I want to keep my budget low, but if everybody's like, it's, you're like going to the total end of the spectrum. You've been working for 10 years on a high end. And I'm like, well, I kind of want to do the raw. But you, but you can't do that high end camera by yourself. No. You can't sit there in a tree stand and no. be like, I'm dinking with all this stuff, trying yeah. to get my bow and my release ready right. and trying to range that you can't do it. You just got to have easy mm-hmm. autofocus right here. It's going to walk in and like, that's where it's at. And it's fun. Like when you kill something on camera, self film, there's a self gratification. Oh. That's like, it's crazy. It's yeah. really cool. You yeah. know? But yeah, no, I agree with all that. That is, uh, that's a good answer there. There's a lot of different rabbit holes you can go down with getting in the industry. Yeah, I guess for my my little take on it is find out something that you're passionate about. If you really like archery and bows, mm-hmm. go check out a bow company that you might be able to get into the factory and work on bows yep. or the marketing or you know something. Mm-hmm. Um, just different things. Find out what you're passionate about and go chase it because it'll never be a job. I have yet to have a job. I have, I do have a job, but it doesn't feel like a job. It doesn't feel like a job. And that's what, that's what I tell everybody. How long are you going to do this for? Can you keep it up? I'm like, I haven't felt in eight years, like I've gone to work one day. Exactly. Now, am I gone a long time? Do I get tired of being on the road? Absolutely. Cause I miss my family, but it doesn't feel like a job because I'm waking up every morning doing something I love, even though I'm not in the field some days, I'm, I'm in the office or working on some of the projects we have, but like, dealing in the hunting and fishing industry like you i couldn't think of possibly finding anything better than this like yeah. what would be better than this we're here on a friday shooting podcasts for work yeah like, exactly you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. so exactly that's nick was i was talking to nick another one of our my co-workers and he was asking me he's like how do you like you know what you're doing and everything i'm like dude i haven't been stressed one day yet mm-hmm. and i said it's i have a career yeah. I, I feel like i could do this forever i mean i get to work from home which is awesome mm-hmm. you know do good work and on hit deadlines and everything and keep the ball rolling and and uh it's a lot of fun for me i love it perfect so well i think we're gonna wrap it up we're at just about an hour and we need to get on with pollock well that went 30 minutes longer than we're supposed to so that's a good sign yeah i know it didn't feel like it did it it didn't thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads don't forget go leave a five-star rating and a written review on apple podcast that always helps Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.